The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is Democratic pollster and founding partner at Hit Strategies, Terrence Woodbury. And as I said, Terrence, a few weeks ago and earlier in this week, I was ranting a bit about how I hate polls. But I do like talking to pollsters. So thank you so much for being here this morning. How are you? Good morning, Selena. Thank you for having me. So everybody listening to the show this morning is going to know that on Monday and a little bit of Tuesday of this week, I went on quite extended rants about my hatred of polling. However, I I, want to add a caveat. I do like talking to pollsters. So I'm excited for this conversation because I am excited to talk with an actual pollster about polling data as opposed to sitting in the media and trying to do analysis based on a top line number. That part of polling I hate. I think that it misses many of the important points that we need to understand um, as we head into and are in the midst of this election season. So that said, when, when you're looking at the data and you focus on black voters, millennials, and women, what are you seeing beyond well, the top line? Uh, I think that's spot on, Zelina. Obviously, I don't hate polling, but I do hate <laughs> the way polling is often reported on, you know, that oversimplifies it, reduces it down to, you know, a, a crystal ball of who's about to win, often eliminating important factors like people that are still undecided or margins of error where these races are within one or two points and the margin of error is three points, which means it's still a toss up. But we're seeing some really promising trends here, not just in the polling, but in a couple of the uh, uh, data metrics that we're following, things like voter registration, um, which is really favoring young people, people of color and women in battleground states. Those things tend to fare pretty well for democratic candidates. A part of a part of the reason uh, uh, where Democrats uh, fall short in midterms is when that electorate becomes significantly older and significantly whiter. And so, you know, adding a bunch of new voters into the into the into the midterm electorate, younger voters, diverse and multicultural voters, that that's that's a good trend. Another that we're paying close attention to, though, is, is our early voting patterns. Mm-hmm. And, and we've seen, I was in Georgia just yesterday, and there's 10 counties around Atlanta that make up that Atlanta metro area where the, where the most growth in Georgia is taking place. 50% of the growth in Georgia is taking place in these 10 counties. And, and that's where the records are being broken. These are the most diverse counties in Georgia. Um, <clears throat> and of course, the, ra- the most rapidly growing. And those Forsyth and Cobb and Henry County and, uh, and um, DeKalb County, that is where we're seeing these record-breaking surges. And in the last place, I, I, the last uh, trend line I've been looking at is in the polling. And 
And this is where Democrats have, are going to have some work to do for if, if they're going to be successful. And that's in, in every one of these battleground polls in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Georgia and in, in transparency, hit strategies is working in a few of these Senate races. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing there is, is, is that Democrats and Fetterman and Mandela Barnes in, in, in Wisconsin and, uh, and Raphael Warnock in Georgia, they are leading every one of these polls amongst registered voters, but this they is, lose that yes. advantage amongst likely voters. This is a point that, okay, I'm so glad that you made this point because it is one of my biggest beefs with the simplified, as you said, and reductive conversations about polling in the mainstream media. Two points. Number one, they never sort of highlight. It's always the asterisk at the bottom left, where right, where it says this poll that we're saying, like, we're, you know, people are, this many people are supporting one candidate versus another. And at the bottom in little font, it will say likely voters. And most of the polls being talked about this week in the mainstream press are of likely voters, not registered voters. From the perspective of a pollster, help our audience understand the distinction between those two groups of voters and how, by looking at the university of registered voters, Democratic campaigns can, you know, increase voter registration and other things in order to change the makeup, as you're explaining, of the actual electorate that is turning out in the midterms. I'm so glad you bring this up, Jelena, and, and I hope your audience will bear with me as I wonk out a little bit and get into the weeds. No, let's do it. We have the time. That's the difference between let's, television let's and walk. radio. We have the space to get into the details. Let's do it. Let's walk out just a little bit here because there are three things that are, I, I would consider the most important uh, uh, factors when you look at a poll number, what we call the horse race, Fetterman versus Oz, uh, X percent versus X percent. Well, there's three things missing there that are that are actually the most important part of the poll. One is, who the hell did they poll? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's the, that's the I never heard a black thing. person a get a who? call from a pollster in my whole life. Maybe you. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> a poll of who is really important. A poll of of likely voters, a poll of registered voters, a poll of never voters. You know, <laughs> who is this a poll of? A poll of, you know people that you went to school with, those are all very different universes and the ones that are less representative of who is actually going to vote on election day. And so to your question, the difference between a likely voter poll and a registered voter poll, uh, only 73% of registered voters actually vote. And what we find in that 37% in that that's not voting, that 37% of registered voters that aren't voting, this doesn't even account the, the rest of Americans that aren't even registered, right? But amongst those registered voters that aren't voting, they're often uh, far more cynical, but also far more, far more progressive, right? These are often more progressive voters. <clears throat> and when you narrow that down to a likely voter universe, that means that these are, this is a poll of voters that have voted in at least two of the last three elections. And, when, and once we do that, we, we, we start to see the race begin to tighten. And this is where you'll hear democratic strategists talk about mobilization versus persuasion. We have to move registered voters. We have to move our base as important as it is that we are swinging voters from, from Republican to Democrat. This is such an important point. Okay, so I was a field organizer in 2008 for Obama in Virginia. And because my first job in politics was as an organizer, I have a completely different perspective on all of this, um, more 
close to what you're explaining than anybody else I've ever interacted with in the mainstream press in the last decade. Most people do not understand um, anything about the you know what a low propensity voter is versus a high propensity voter persuasion versus simply turning out your folks um can you talk a bit about the the need and and how democrats are doing it in this cycle um to find those younger voters usually millennials of color (laughs) um young latinx voters who may or may not have already previously been registered but certainly are considered you know, what a pollster would describe as or even an organizer would mark in voter file um, as a sporadic voter, somebody who, you know, they might vote in a presidential, but then they fall off in the midterms and in the local races and then they come back for the presidential and then they may skip the next president. You know, somebody that is categorized as a sporadic voter and why Democrats focusing on creating a larger universe of these diverse voters that you've been describing, but also those voters that don't show up every time, but if they get door knocked, if they get called three times, they will show up. Yeah, you know, the, 2020 is such a good example of this, where we had record turnout <clears throat> and, and record turnout on, a, on election day, and w- even during a pandemic, right? During during pandemic uh, quarantine voting, we had the most voters ever participate in, in history. And a part of how we did that <clears throat> was excessive contact. And you talked about the door knocking. That was hard to do in 2020. And so what we turned to quite a bit were, were, were communicating with voters in the palm of their hand, right? A lot of text messages. We did post-election focus groups in Georgia. We asked a bunch of first-time voters there, what was so different about 2020? And yes, there was a lot of, we had to vote to stop Donald Trump. That was the you know a number one motivating reason amongst first-time voters in 2020. But the other thing that they that they spoke a lot about were the text messages. Mm. It, it was it was excessive text messages. <laughs> They're like, get it off my phone. <laughs> sometimes you know you you getting the same ones. It was sometimes ten messages a day, That's you funny. know, uh, and 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 it annoyed the hell out of them. But it worked. Yeah, you know, some of them even said, "I voted just so that they could stop texting." Me. <laughs> you know, and so we know that that candidates like Raphael Warnock and Mandela Barnes are 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 engaged in these uh, aggressive uh, text message campaigns because we have to meet voters where they are. And frankly, young voters um, are in the, <laughs> they're in their cell phones, right? They're in the yep. palm of their hand. And so that's where we have to communicate with them. It's such an important point. And I'm telling you, text banking was one of my favorite things in 2016. And it's actually, it's such an exciting um, thing every election cycle to see even the technology upgraded for each cycle because um, text banking was sort of not new in 2016, but it was like, ooh, we just invented this new thing to do this text banking. It's so exciting. I think it was called Megaphone <laughs> um, back then. And we were so excited. And I would sit on, I literally said the way I channeled my anxiety in pro- to something productive most days on the way home from campaign headquarters was to text bank on the subway while I was, you know, going back up to Harlem because I felt that that was a productive way to like, Distress. I mean, I was so anxious about the election. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out how I wanted, but I didn't know Russia was all, you know, mucking it up. I, I didn't know about that until after the fact. But text banking, to your point, such a great way <laughs> to channel your anxiety, but also have an impact on people um, and their ability to turn out. I want to talk specifically. Hey, Jordan, can I make, oh, yeah. Go, I make a jump jump in. Go ahead. I want to make a quick plug there because you're right. It is 
it, it is an incredible way to make a great impact. It, it seems like it, it's low impact, but I assure you, talking to these voters, it works. Every single candidate that that your that your audience are supporting, every candidate, whether they are in your state or elsewhere, they all have robust text programs. I assure you, you can cold call the campaign number on their website and tell them that you want to text people and encourage them to vote, and they will plug you into their text program. And maybe, like Zerlina, it could be therapeutic for you as well. No, it's such a good distress. It's a it's a distressing <laughs> tool. It's like my secret, my secret from 2016 of how not to lose your mind. Um, I want to talk specifically about certain aspects of of the electorate in this cycle. Um, as we sort of joked before, you know, I've never met a black person who received a call from a pollster in my entire life. You probably have met them because you are an actual Democratic pollster. However, um, you know, that's sort of the the premise that we're starting with. Like, already you're sort of talking about um, a smaller universe of polls that actually includes any information at all about black voters um, down to sort of the micro level. But then also, I, I see a lot of headlines about like, Black men are turning away from the Democratic Party. Like, is that backed up by data or is that uh, hype? Uh, that's a it's a great it's a great question. Zerlin. And this is a part of, you know, what we do at Hit Strategies and why we started this company three years ago. It is to demystify this data, but it's also to make sure that we're we're asking the right people and we're including the right people in these polls, because if you're not asking the right people, then you're automatically getting the wrong answer. And so a part of what we, we prioritize is oversampling and ensuring that we have proper representation of people of color so that when we see a headline like black men are, 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 are eroding to, to the Republican Party, we can disaggregate that. We can break that, what we call cross tabs, break that down and see exactly which black men, is it true, is it, is it, is it holding? <clears throat> and frankly, uh, the math is mathing, right? But, but there's a couple of misperceptions there. Yes, black men have voted more for Republicans uh, in each cycle since, uh, since Barack Obama exited the political stage. But the gender gap between black men and black women is no different than the gender gap amongst voters, right? Men are more conservative than women. White men, Latino men, black men. And so there is a gender gap amongst men and women the difference between the black black men's gender gap is that they were Democratic voters. They were voting for Democrats at 91, 92, 93%. And so as that number has eroded a little down to down to, you know, in some cases 81, 82%, <clears throat> there is a where we started the conversation around persuasion versus mobilization, right? Black men and men of color more broadly are moving into this swing voter category, which means it's no longer just mobilization and getting them to vote. There's also a level of persuasion and, and, and convincing them why they should vote for one candidate versus the other. And one thing that, we are, that, we, that we've learned through a lot of our research is that the threat of the other side, the threat of what Republicans will do if they win, is less mobilizing for men of color than the progress of what Democrats have already done. And Democrats have made tremendous progress in the past two years on the issues that are most important to men of color. And now in our closing argument, we have to uh, make that progress very clear. But, but one caveat there is, as we talk about the progress that's been made, and I could go through a list 
uh, on every single issue that's mo that's important to, to voters of color, <clears throat> a list of progress under each of those issues. But what's going to be important is also acknowledging that while progress has been made, there's still real and significant pain. And the progress is not enough. We have more work to do. One of the, one of the things that um, I think is animating for men of color, and I think certainly is is you can list it as one of the things that they cite as not have having been accomplished which is police reform the george floyd policing act justice and policing act was not passed um obviously the filibuster is an obstacle in order for any of that to happen um same is true for voting rights but how do issues like police reform and even voting rights fit into the lack of enthusiasm for democrats you're seeing in polling data around black men Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked this because, you know, this is where I've had to convince a lot of the candidates, uh, Democratic candidates, and even uh, Democratic Party committees, leadership, that is that, that not all progress is legislation, you know, that in some cases the, prog the fight is the progress. And while filibuster and, 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 and not enough votes in the Senate have made it hard to pass things like voting rights, like the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or the George Floyd Executive Order. There's tremendous progress in the George Floyd Executive Order. And 90, in fact, 90% of black voters said that the George Floyd Executive Order, which established a, a, a national registry of police misconduct and banned no-knock warrants and banned chokeholds for federal officers, that 90% say that that would improve their quality of their, their quality of life. And so we got we got to figure out how we can demonstrate progress for things like the uh, the federal government, Merrick Garland's Justice Department, prosecuting Breonna Taylor's uh, uh, murderers, prosecuting George Floyd's murderers under federal hate crimes act. Right. When those states failed to when Kentucky failed to. Merrick Garland's Justice Department did. That's what that's what that 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 protest in, in 2020, the summer of unrest. That's exactly what they were what they were protesting for, for justice, for 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 policy change that would prevent these things from happening again. Well, it happened and it happened because they protested and it happened because they voted and not just because of, you know, the benevolence of Washington. But we got to recenter those protesters as the heroes. Mm -hmm. and then show them what progress they have made. It's a, such an important point about the fact that progress is not always just one piece of legislation. And then even if it is one piece of legislation, um, sometimes that's not the end of the conversation. I mean, I can think of so many pieces of legislation, like let me list them out, Obamacare, the Voting Rights Act. I mean, just to name two, um, that you know, you're not finished once you pass that piece of legislation. This is a thing that we have learned <laughs> throughout the course of recent history, but also um, in the past 50 years. Um, I also, before we go, want to talk a bit about how people should think about poll conversations around polls this late in the cycle. One of the things that I always say on the show, is the first day of early voting, I started saying this, you know, it's not 30 days to election day. It's not 20 days to election day. Like election day is today, tomorrow, the next mm -hmm. day, the next day after that, um, depending upon where you live in the country. So if you live in Texas, election day is today. If you live in Georgia, election day is today. Um, right. Can you talk a bit about in Virginia as well? Can you talk a bit about how early voting numbers um, trump conversations around what the polls say 
because I feel like I'm like, who is being polled? Back to our original question. Like, who are you polling a week out from the election um, when a million votes are in the bank for, for, you know, one candidate or the other or both? Um, I feel like we're missing a piece of it because there aren't enough conversations about what the early voting numbers mean beyond just like this is how many people that early voted and this is how mm -hmm. that total compares to the previous cycle mm -hmm. yeah so there's a couple of things that i would i would love for your, your audience to, to pay attention to when they start to hear these poll numbers uh one is a poll of who is it likely voters or registered voters or just americans you know <laughs> uh <laughs> two and this is often under underreported. we don't often see this number and that is the undecided right how many how many voters have still not made their made up their minds or are still not reporting who they will vote for? We don't often see that undecided number. We'll see 47 versus 48. Well, that means that there's still, you know, 5% out there that can swing this election either way. <clears throat> and then the last is, is, is that margin of error. If a race is between one or two point difference and the margin of error is three points, then the race is tied. That's what that means. That 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 and we often report as this person has taken the lead over that person when it's a one point difference. Well, that's not a lead. That's a tie, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so, so that's math all Math thing is hard for some people, I guess. I mean, listen, I, I'm, math is not my strong suit. I went to law school. I avoid math. Math is not my thing. I get other people for math and I have a calculator. You know, that's not my thing. But, but here's but, like, I need us to have more, just better analysis than like, Oh, this person is up one when there's a margin of error that you have put in small font at the bottom right. of the screen. Th that's right. Let's make that small font the same size as the as the as the as the, as the score. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nobody does. They don't do that in sports. They're not like. I mean, the, the thing that is in the small font in sports is the statistics, the stats, like how right. many free throws, how many rebounds. That's not like not. Imagine if they put the score like with a margin of error error at the bottom that's right that would so, be ridiculous so think of it this way if there, was a, if there was a score in a in a football game of, of of 21 to 22 but five points gets distributed at the end randomly <laughs> the, and, and they could and that five points can be distributed to either team then who's really winning you this know this is such a good comparison everybody should forever now think about polling in this particular way um in terms of the early voting numbers that we're seeing we have like one more minute Yep. You know, we've seen, I, you know, the data that I read this morning was basically like Georgia knocking it out of the park. They're like showing up. They don't want to wait online. I mean, there have been some lines in Georgia this week, but they basically saw what happened in the last two cycles. And they ain't trying to wait online for three hours in the rain. They're not doing that again. And so the people in Georgia, because of effective GOTV by campaigns, you know, they're showing up early. The same can't be said about Virginia, though. How, what do you make of the early uh, voting data that we're we're seeing so far. You know, the Virginia, uh, we Virginia, we, we got some work to do. And, and and the good thing about Virginia is that we have early vote, we have polling, but we also had an election in, in 2021 where we saw some trend shift. And and frankly, uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe did not lose Virginia because a bunch of Biden voters flipped to Glenn Youngkin. Terry McAuliffe lost Virginia because a bunch of Biden voters stayed home, mm -hmm. right? Glenn Youngkin was able to turn out 92% of Trump voters and Terry McAuliffe turned out 68% of Biden voters. <clears throat> that's, 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 the, that's the mobilization effort that we, that we got to make up for. And that's what's happening in Georgia. When you look at those 10 counties around Atlanta, 
where the where the where the records are being where the early voting records are being broken, that is a sign of mobilization in the Democratic base and a sign of enthusiasm uh, amongst Democratic voters that I think we should all be uh, uh, optimistic about going into election day. So maybe if you're at home and you're thinking like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. How can I help? Text banking in Virginia might be a place to start. Um, to motivate those voters to just hassle them until they go vote um until they're like get off my phone (laughs) i already voted that is the goal um with organizing this late in the cycle because it is election day today tomorrow the next day terrence woodbury from hitch strategies thank you so much this is a great conversation about polling and again i started the conversation being like you know i don't love polls but i do like pollsters (laughs) talking about this stuff beyond just that top line number. So thank you for this conversation. It's been great to have you on. Please stay safe. Thank you so much, Elena. I'll be back anytime. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.